Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, weekdays on the Podbean app, which you can download onto your smartphone. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N, and is available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866 609 and this is episode number 50 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It is December 21st, 2021. Yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious last November's presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't let me say that on the radio. And yes... There's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. Now, before I get to today's news, I want to tell you about a personal journey I've been on for 13 years and how, by the grace of God, I discovered the best-kept secret in American health care. I have hoped and prayed for years for the opportunity to share this on a national stage, and I'm thankful the Lord has opened the door for me to do so. Back in 2008, I was living in Brunswick, Georgia, selling radio commercials. That's where I met a doctor who taught me about a crucial part of health care that most of us have never heard of. Okay, here goes. Your skull weighs somewhere between 8 and 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas or C1 bone, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for that atlas bone to get out of alignment. If it does get out of alignment, it can cause your spinal column to get kinked up like a chain. So that can lead to big problems because that's where your central nervous system is located. If your spinal column gets kinked up, it can cause your central nervous system to be unable to send impulses to the rest of your body as God designed it to do. So you need to find out if you need an upper cervical care doctor. They're the doctors who take x-rays of your head and neck to see if your atlas is out of alignment. And if it is, they're the doctors who will adjust your atlas to get it back in alignment and you feel better. At the time I found out about this over 13 years ago, I was a single dad and my mom was helping me raise my six children. So I went home and told her about this doctor I met who adjusts people's atlases and about the results he was getting. She said, Doc, you have to take your son, Steve. He's only 13 years old, and I'm afraid he's developing scoliosis, curvature of the spine. He can't sit up straight. He can't stand up straight. And he has migraines all the time. So I took Steve. He got his atlas adjusted, and immediately he sat up straight, and he stood up straight. After his third adjustment, the migraines went away for good. Then my mom told me, Doc, look at yourself in the mirror. Your shoulders are off balance, and you have bad headaches all the time. I think you need to get your atlas adjusted. So I did, and the migraines went away. But I also realized that I had been suffering through a low-grade but consistent head and neck ache caused by several automobile accidents I had been in over the past 20 years. So that consistent low-grade head and neck ache went away immediately. And I instantly realized I had been walking around in a fog for several years. Getting my atlas adjusted was like coming up out of the ether. But what really surprised me was when springtime came around, And for the first time I could remember, I didn't have hay fever. Well, that was quite a shock because I had had really bad hay fever every spring going all the way back to my school days. Folks who have their atlases adjusted have reported success with not just migraines, not just allergies, but fibromyalgia, acid reflux, and even eczema. 
It's all about adjusting the atlas to remove the obstruction that keeps your central nervous system from sending impulses to different parts of your body as it's designed to do. Now, I've been under this kind of care for over 13 years in three different states. I think I would probably be in a wheelchair by now if I hadn't found out about getting my atlas adjusted. My wife and I know many people this has helped. If you're wondering if you need to get your atlas adjusted, look in the mirror or look at a picture of yourself. Do your eyes look off balance? Do your shoulders look off balance? Do you naturally tilt your head to one side or the other? When you sit on the sofa, are you most comfortable leaning one way or the other? If you answered yes to any of those questions, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. If you'd like to get a free consultation with a doctor near you who adjusts atlases, go to the website TurnMyPowerOn.com. We link to it on our website, TurnMyPowerOn.com. You'll be glad you did. All right, so uh, usurper Biden, I don't call him, I refuse to call him president, usurper Biden announces new measures to deal with the Wu flu today. And we're going to get to that momentarily, but apparently Jesse Waters over Fox News Channel has really, really, really upset Dr. Mengele, I mean uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci. And uh, so Fauci was on first thing this morning on the New Day program over at CNN with a guy named John Berman. Now, apparently CNN is some kind of cable access channel uh, that you can only get at airports, uh, you know, for kind of like a captive audience. What? What do you mean people watch CNN at home? Who would subject himself to something like, I don't know. No, I don't have time for that. Anyway, so here's what uh, Fauci said about Jesse Waters this morning, and then we'll find out what in the world Jesse Waters said that uh, has harshed Dr. Mingala, I mean, uh, Dr. Fauci's mellow this morning. Uh, on the subject of divisiveness, Dr. Fauci, I'm not going to play it because, it, frankly, I think it's dangerous. But, but Jesse Waters, who was a Fox News entertainer, was giving a speech to a conservative group where he talked about you and suggested to the crowd that they ambush you with what he said was some kind of rhetorical kill shot. That was his exact word. I'm wondering you know, how much that concerns you when you hear language like that about you and your, your well-being. Well, John, that's horrible. I mean, that just is such a reflection of the craziness that goes on in society. The only thing that I have ever done throughout these two years is to encourage people to practice good public health practices, to get vaccinated, to be careful in public settings, to wear a mask. And for that, you have some guy out there saying that people should be giving me a kill shot to ambush me. I mean, what kind of craziness is there in society these days? That's awful that he said that. And he's going to go very likely unaccountable. (laughs) I mean, whatever network he's on is not going to do anything for him. I mean, that's crazy. The guy should be fired on the spot. Whatever network he's on. Is that what I just heard? As if they don't know what network Jesse Waters is on. Now, let me just tell you what a kill shot is. A kill shot is a decisive smashing or punching of a ball with a hand or racket that is virtually unreturnable, as in volleyball or handball or badminton. And that's what a kill shot is. So so what is it that Jesse Waters said that John Berman of CNN and Dr. Mingala, I mean, uh, Dr. Fauci, want you to think is so horrible? Now, CNN won't play it because then you'll know. Then you'll know that they're blowing this out of proportion. And he wasn't actually calling for physical violence. So here is a little over two minutes of Jesse Waters 
recently speaking to some kind of a Turning Point USA convention. That's a Charlie Kirk's outfit. And it went something like this. Now you're going for the kill shot. The kill shot with an ambush, deadly. Because he doesn't see it coming. This is when you say, Dr. Fauci, you funded risky research at a sloppy Chinese lab. The same lab that sprung this pandemic on the world. You know why people don't trust you, don't you? See, that's what CNN doesn't want you to know. That's what Fauci doesn't want you to know. That's the kill shot, saying those words. Here's more from Jesse Waters, Fox News. Boom! He is dead! He is dead! He's done! Now, how you do that in 30 seconds. That's all you need. 30 seconds. Now, you get that footage to us. You get it to Fox. You get it to Human Events. You get it to Breitbart. You get it to Daily Caller. You get it to the Turning Point Pipeline. Imagine Tucker Carlson teases out of the A block, coming up. Brave college student confronts Lord Fauci at dinner. Exclusive footage right back. Get us that. That's what we want. That changes the whole conversation of the country. I've authorized it. Just make sure it's legal. Uh, on the subject of divisiveness, Dr. Fauci, I'm not going to play it. Uh, and, then they got, and then they got John Berman and, and Fauci again on CNN. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. See, they, they're, <laughs> they're complaining about something, and they want, oh, oh, this guy here, uh, Michael Cornaccia who put it up on Twitter, said Jesse Waters needs to be fired and arrested for telling a crowd how to kill Dr. Fauci. And lots and let's not mince words. That's exactly what he did. Well, of course, that isn't what he did. So i got to respond to this guy. Uh, let's see. You just broke the ninth commandment. That's the one that says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So there you go. There you go. They're freaking out because, of course, he did fund the very risky gain-of-function research in the leaky lab in Wuhan, China, and he lied about it under oath repeatedly, repeatedly in congressional hearings. How about that? Now, you want to talk about somebody really advocating violence, Anybody remember Maxine Waters a few years ago? Huh? Remember this? If you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. You push back on them. Hmm. That sounds like actual, you know, physical violence. What sound like to me? That sounds like actual physical violence. But see, that's all right. 
because she's got a D by her name. You know what I'm saying? She's got a D by her name, so ain't no thing. It's all good. It's all good. Now, speaking of Fauci, um, Megan Redshaw over at Children Health, childrenshealthdefense.org has a new article. Tw- over 20,000 deaths reported to the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System following COVID vaccines. Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. It's, uh, VAERS is short for that, V-A-E-R-S. Data released last week by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention include included a total of over 965,000 reports of adverse events from all age groups following COVID vaccines, including over 20,000 deaths and over 155,000 serious injuries between December 14th, 2020 and December 10th, 2021. See, this is what Fauci don't want you thinking about. All right. And this is dated December 17th. So this was Friday. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention today released new data showing a total of 965,843 reports of adverse events following COVID vaccines were submitted between December 14, 2020 and December 10, 2021 to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, VAERS, which is the primary government-funded system for reporting adverse vaccine reactions in the United States. The data included a total of 20,244 reports of deaths, an increase of 358 over the previous week, and 155,506 reports of serious injuries, including deaths, during the same time period, up over 4,500 compared with the previous week. Excluding, excluding foreign reports to VAERS, almost 692,000 adverse events including over 9,200 deaths and almost 60,000 serious injuries were reported in the U.S. between December 14, 2020 and December 10, 2021. Foreign reports are reports received by U.S. manufacturers from their foreign subsidiaries. Under U.S. FDA regulations, if a manufacturer is notified of a foreign case report that describes an event that is both serious and does not appear on the product's labeling, the manufacturer is required to submit the report to the VAERS system. Of the almost 9,300 U.S. deaths reported as of December 10th, 21% occurred within 24 hours of vaccination, 26% occurred within 48 hours of vaccination, 61% occurred in people who experienced an onset of symptoms within 48 hours of being vaccinated. In the U.S., 480 million COVID vaccine doses had been administered as of December 10th. This includes 279 million doses of Pfizer, 184 million doses of Moderna, and 17 million doses of Johnson & Johnson. So people are dying from this stuff. But your health officials are telling you, no. No, they're not. So 
So childrenshealthdefense.org, the Children's Health Defense Organization, is something that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. put together. And I'd love to interview Robert F. Kennedy Jr., but I can't figure out how to get a hold of him. There's a publicist out there that wants us to interview the publisher of his book. I don't want to interview the publisher of his book, but I would like to interview Mr. Kennedy himself. And, um, you know, this whole thing about the, 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 the vaccines for the Wu flu, um, it cuts across political lines. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I would love to know what this gentleman has to say. I would love to let people know about his new book about Dr. Fauci, but uh, can't figure out how to get a hold of him. The publicist who wants us to interview the publisher of his book won't ask the publisher of his book for contact information, but we'll let you know. We'll let you know if we can figure out a way to interview Robert F. Kennedy Jr. because um, he deserves to be heard. He deserves to be heard. Now, after I do the uh, the live stream podcast today, um, I plan to put this article about over 20,000 deaths reported to the vaccine adverse event reporting system following COVID vaccines. I plan to put it up on my Facebook page. It'll probably get me suspended because Facebook doesn't want the truth out. Oh, by the way, I don't know if you heard about this. The other day, the other day, Facebook admitted in court that their so-called independent fact checkers are just opinions. In court, they're not defending the idea that when they do a fact check, they're actually talking about facts. It's just opinions. Well, you know what they say. Opinions are like elbows. Everybody's got a couple of them, right? What? Well, it was was something like that, they said. Something like that. All right, so the great Byron York, journalist over at the uh, Washington Examiner and contributor to Fox News, has a link to Biden unveiling the new measures for the Wu flu. So I'm going to take a look at that in just a second. But, you know, it seems like a good time to remind you that they always lie to us. I mean, didn't they uh, didn't they lie to us in 2009 when they said Obamacare would be the Affordable Care Act? Right? I mean... If you're like most Americans, Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act, actually made your health care more expensive, right? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high co-pays keep you from going to the doctor? 
Now, if you answered yes to any of that, you need to go to a website called MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. When you go to that website, first thing you see, big, bold letters, affordable plans. Save 30 to 50% on premiums. Personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no copays. That sounds like something better than what you got right now. There's a button right under that that says schedule call now. You click on that button. You book a free consultation. And my buddy Art Wilborn will make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. And he says personalized health coverage. That also means that you don't have to wind up covering things that would violate your deeply held religious beliefs. You know, like some of those Obamacare plans, you got to cover abortion, stuff like that. No, no, no. You don't have to mess with that with MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. Again, affordable plans save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays. Save money on your insurance Log on to MyFamilyHealthPlan.com today. Get your free consultation, and you'll be glad you did. MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. All right, now, what's this nut Biden saying today? Well, whatever they tell him to say, right? Whatever they tell him to say. Now, let me just read this uh, this press release here. This fact sheet, fact sheet from the uh, the White House, and any time they use the word president in front of his name, I'll say usurper, because that's what he is. I refuse to call him president. They stole the election, okay? You can't say that on talk radio. You can't say that on a Fox News channel. I, I don't know. I don't know if they allow you to say it on Newsmax or One American News, but I say it. Maybe they do. I don't know. Fact sheet. Usurper Biden announces new actions to protect Americans and help communities and hospitals battle Omicron. Okay, right off the rip here. First thing. First thing. The symptoms of Omicron are a mild cold. You got some sniffles. That's Omicron. But these people, with their fact sheet, never let the facts get in their way. Okay, what does it say? Today, Usurper Biden will announce new actions to protect Americans and help communities and hospitals battle Omicron, building on the robust plan he announced earlier this month to get people maximum protection ahead of the winter and prepare for rising cases driven by the new variant. Remember, Again, we're talking about a mild cold here. It says, we know how to protect people from severe illness. We have the tools needed to do it. And thanks to the usurper's winter plan, we are ready. 73% of adult Americans are fully vaccinated. Up from less than 1% before the usurper took office. And we're getting about 1 million booster shots in arms each day. Well, it seems like if the vaccines worked, you wouldn't need boosters. What was that? You, mean, you need me to repeat that for the folks in the back? Seems like if the vaccines worked, you wouldn't need boosters. I know, I know, I know. Pfizer's got to make some money. 
Vaccines are free and readily available at 90,000 convenient locations. There's clear guidance on masking and other measures that help slow the spread of COVID-19 and federal emergency medical teams are ready to respond to surges nationwide. A clear guidance on masking and other measures that help slow the spread. Um, well, somebody needs to get the uh, the word to uh, CNN's chief medical consultant, Dr. Leanna Wynn, former uh, head of Planned Parenthood. Did you hear what she said on CNN yesterday? Check it out. Don't wear a cloth mask. Cloth masks are little more than facial decorations. There's no place for them in light of Omicron. Really? Sounds like Fauci from March of 2020 when he's begging people not to wear masks before he started begging people to wear masks. These people can't keep it straight, can they? No, they can't. Back to the White House's uh, press statement here. They say, our vaccines are the most powerful tools we have. They work to protect people from serious illness and death. No, they don't. And boosters provide people optimal protection. No, they don't. While cases among vaccinated individuals will likely increase due to the more transmissible Omicron, Evidence to date is that their cases will most likely be mild. Well, everybody's Omicron case is mild, right? In contrast, unvaccinated individuals are at high risk of getting COVID-19, getting severely ill, and even dying. Yeah, because you won't give them ivermectin. You won't get hydroxychloroquine. You won't get monoclonal antibodies. Anyway, today's actions will mitigate the impact unvaccinated individuals have on our healthcare system while increasing access to free testing and getting more shots in arms to keep people safe and our schools and economy open, today usurper Biden will announce the following actions. Again, if you uh, have people freaking out and getting tested all the time, you don't have any uh, symptoms, That's uh, kind of a mass psychosis thing going on. So he announces increased support for hospitals, mobilizing an additional 1,000 troops to deploy to COVID-burdened hospitals, deploying federal medical personnel available to states immediately, expanding hospital capacity, activating FEMA response teams to help states and hospitals add capacity now, providing ongoing support to states to help hospitals create and license more beds. How do you create a bed? Interesting. Uh, Deploying hundreds of ambulances and emergency medical teams to transport patients to open beds. What, for a mild cold? Really? Providing critical supplies, pre-positioning critical supplies from the strategic national stockpile. Deploying ventilators to the states. Yeah, you want to get them on vents so they'll die, right? Yeah, you want to get them on vents so they'll die, right? I had a friend that happened too. 
She was a, I've, I've, I've never identified her by name, but she was an attorney. And a few months ago, she went to a large hospital in Little Rock, Arkansas, with uh, symptoms, tested positive for COVID. They sent her home, said, come back when you get worse. Three or four days later, her daughter drove her back because she was unable to drive. She was really worse. And she was told to the hospital, oh, sorry, you missed the three-day window of treatment. The three-day window of opportunity to get treated. Yeah, we'll admit you now. And they admitted her and eventually put her on a ventilator, and three weeks later she was dead. Hospital is killing people. Intentionally. I guess there's a lot of money in it. Someday, if we ever get another Republican president, um, since uh, murder, there's no uh, statute of limitations, there needs to be a massive, massive investigation, criminal investigation, right? So, uh, anyway, what else are these chuckleheads announcing today? Robust access to free testing Standing up new federal testing sites, distributing free rapid tests to Americans, utilizing the Defense Production Act to further accelerate production, expanding capacity to get shots in arms, standing up new pop-up vaccination clinics, deploying additional vaccinators, allowing flexibility to surge pharmacy teams. Yeah, you don't want to be flexible enough to... uh, Bill prescriptions for ivermectin, though, do you? Continuing to scale pharmacy capacity. Press briefing by Press Secretary uh, Jen Psaki. So they announced uh, last week that Biden had this urgent message for Americans, especially unvaccinated Americans. But they're going to put it off till Tuesday. Yeah, real urgent. Real urgent. I mean, this is this is jacked up, man. Not even gonna lie, fam. It's jacked up. So, let's talk about something a little bit more fun. Now, if you're like me, before the election was stolen last November, November 2020. You had a lot of high hopes for uh, special counsel John Durham that he would eventually get to the bottom of something. Now, most people were very upset that he didn't get to the bottom of anything before the election because they're like, what good are you? And I tried to explain to him that he was under no timetable. Tried to explain to him that John Durham, um, when he investigated the whole Whitey Bulger FBI situation years ago, it took him five years and that he wasn't going to be hurried by any kind of political timetables. He was just going to keep plugging away. And that he had um, an excellent reputation and had brought down corrupt politicians, Republican and Democrat, in the past. But people don't want to hear about it because he didn't get anything done before the presidential election, November 2020, not much done. They're like, uh, he's a sellout, you know, he's useless. And I frankly wondered, well, what good can he do um, when there's a Democrat administration because doesn't he have to get everything, anybody he wants to indict, 
signed off by Merrick Garland, Joe Biden's attorney general. And apparently he does, but uh, the great Andy McCarthy, former assistant U.S. attorney out of New York, and a guy who's written a bunch of great books like Willful Blindness, he explained to me that Biden has no love for uh, for Hillary. And what he didn't say, but may as well have, is that the guy who's pulling the puppet strings on Biden, Obama, can't stand Hillary. So if John Durham's stuff leads to Hillary and her team, then Biden doesn't care. Obama doesn't care. So if you're willing to accept that as a possible scenario, then uh, maybe some good news I've got for you. Here's some good news. This guy I follow on Twitter, he goes by uh, Technofog. He's got his own substack where he writes about stuff. And this is what he dropped yesterday. It's official. Durham is investigating the Clinton campaign. Got it? It's official. Durham is investigating the Clinton campaign. Now, give me just a second, because I gotta, I gotta get a sip of water. So hang on just a second. You're listening to the Doc Washburn Show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. You can now listen live weekdays, noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time at DocWashburnShow.com. Podcast available at DocWashburnShow.com and for download at Spotify, iTunes, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. We are on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at DocWashburnShow.com or call us at 866-609-3711. All right, thank you, Producer Brian Coolis. Appreciate that. Appreciate you giving me a, a, just a moment there. Okay, so let's look at this. Technofog over at Substack.com. Article entitled, It's Official, Durham is Investigating the Clinton Campaign. Subtitle, Enter the Clinton Campaign Lawyers. Okay, the latest filings by special counsel John Durham reveal that lawyers for the Hillary Clinton campaign now represent Christopher Steele primary subsource Igor Danchenko. In doing so, John Durham tips us off to something else, that the Hillary Clinton campaign and multiple former employees of the Hillary Clinton campaign are under investigation. So let's walk through the latest developments. Background. Igor Danchenko, the primary subsource of Christopher Steele, was arrested on November 3, 2021, for giving multiple false statements to federal officials during his 2017 interviews with the FBI. These included lies about Danchenko's sources, his travels to Russia, and his falsified contacts with a guy named Sergey Millian. And they linked to the Danchenko indictment from an earlier article. Notably, special counsel John Durham alleges that one of Danchenko's real sources was a guy named Charles Dolan Jr., who served in various leadership positions to elect Bill Clinton in 1992 and 1996 campaigns 
and was an advisor to Hillary Clinton in her 2016 campaign for president. With Charles Dolan Jr.'s involvement, the obvious question becomes whether he was the intermediary between the Clinton campaign and Danchenko. So we get to the involvement of the Hillary Clinton campaign. After all, he says, we know the Hillary Clinton campaign paid for the Steele dossiers and the work by Fusion GPS. This is arranged through their attorneys and the DNC attorneys at a company called Perkins Coie, notably Mark Elias and Michael Sussman. Now, Elias left the firm this past summer. Sussman was indicted in September 2021 by special counsel Durham for giving false statements to the FBI as he was pushing them to investigate the hoax of Trump colluding with Russia through the Alpha Bank in Russia. Now, it's highly likely the Clinton, the Clinton campaign was receiving updates on the Fusion GPS Christopher Steele work once they were hired by Perkins Coie in the spring of 2016. This is the work the client, the Clinton campaign, paid for. The sharing of this information will be consistent with the Clinton campaign, notably Jake Sullivan receiving back-channel updates on the Alpha Bank hoax. If the Clinton campaign was being informed of the work by Fusion GPS, what are the likelihood that the Clinton campaign was informing the work of Fusion GPS? It was Clinton's idea, Hillary Clinton's idea, to link Trump and Russia in the first place. To develop that theory, associates of the Clinton campaign, like Sidney Blumenthal, were working to corroborate parts of the dossier. With that in mind, I offer you this bit of information provided by the New York Times in September suggesting the complicity of the Clinton campaign. The New York Times actually said in September... Some of the questions that Mr. Durham's team has been asking in recent months, including of witnesses it subpoenaed before a grand jury, according to people familiar with some of the sessions, suggest he has been pursuing a theory that the Clinton campaign used Perkins Coie, the law firm, to submit dubious information to the FBI about Russia and Mr. Trump in an effort to gin up investigative activity to hurt Trump's 2016 campaign. Wow. So what are the latest developments? Well, now let's review what's going on in Igor Danchenko's criminal case. He was originally represented by Charles Schaffbuck and Mark Schammel. On December 6, 2021, Stuart Sears appeared on behalf of Danchenko. Schaffbuck and Schammel dropped out of the case. According to John Durham's latest filing, Stuart Sears is a partner at the law firm Shirtler, Honorado, Mead, and Sears. Notably, the firm is currently representing the 2016 Hillary for America presidential campaign, as well as multiple former employees of that campaign in matters before the special counsel, John Durham. Huh. Did you catch that? <clears throat> Let's, uh, let's emphasize here. The Hillary Clinton campaign and its employees are subjects to matters before the special counsel. John Durham notices the potential conflict of interest informing the court that Danchenko's trial might raise the following issues. Number one, the Clinton campaign's knowledge or lack of knowledge 
concerning the veracity of information in the Fusion GPS reports sourced by Igor Danchenko. Number two, the Clinton campaign's awareness or lack of awareness of Danchenko's collection methods and subsources. Number three, meetings or communications between and among the Clinton campaign, Fusion GPS, and or Steele regarding or involving Danchenko. Number four, Danchenko knowledge or lack of knowledge regarding the Clinton campaign's role in and activities surrounding the Fusion GPS reports. And number five, the extent to which the Clinton campaign and or its representatives directed, solicited, or controlled Danchenko's activities. So Durham even raises the potential that members of the Hillary Clinton campaign may be called to testify at Igor Danchenko's trial. Here's the quote from uh, Durham's submission to the court. He says, In addition, in the event that one or more former representatives of the Clinton campaign who are represented by defense counsel's firm are called to testify at any trial or other court proceeding, the defendant and any such witness would be represented by the same law firm, resulting in a potential conflict. So Technofog here says, it has long been suspected that the Clinton campaign and those in Clinton's orbit had a more hands-on approach to the so-called research of Fusion GPS of Christopher Steele than has been reported. The depths of that involvement, however, have been somewhat of a mystery, in part shrouded behind the attorney-client privilege between Perkins Coie and the Clinton campaign. But John Durham has done his part to break through that privilege, obtaining Perkins Coie law firm records relating to their representation of the Hillary Clinton campaign and even issuing new subpoenas as of September this year to obtain further information on the Democrat efforts to smear Trump and his associates as Russian agents. To this observer, it seems likely or seems like the Clinton campaign's involvement in the activities of Fusion GPS, Christopher Steele, and other so-called sources might be deeper than anyone thought. Might be deeper than anyone thought. Wow. How about that? How about that? Now, let me, uh, let me take you a little bit further here. If I may, uh, Michael Caputo, independent journalist, Michael Caputo, kind of puts the uh, the cherry on the ice cream sundae here about John Durham's investigation into the Hillary Clinton campaign. He's got a little thread on Twitter, and he says. Durham's Russiagate hoax inquiry may lead to a guy named Strobe Talbot. He's the uh, head of foreign policy at the Brookings Institute. Caputo says Strobe Talbot very likely supervised the entire scam, the entire Russiagate scam from the Brookings Institute. Strobe Talbot is a 50-year Clinton comrade. Oxford Class of 1970. He was in Oxford with Clinton, Bill Clinton, 1970. Strobe Talbot has deep Russia ties. He's very likely the origin of the idea to buy bogus Trump opposition research 
from his Russian intel pals. The Cody Shearer dossier very likely was the origin of the Clinton Steele dossier via Strobe Talbot. Cody Shearer, who's that? He's the twin brother of Strobe Talbot's late wife, Brooke Shearer, whose other brother, Derek Shearer, was Strobe Talbot's roommate at Oxford, also very close to Bill Clinton in those days. 1970. Researchers, the Clinton-Talbot-Shearer gang has been thick as thieves for half a century. Talbot and the Shearers all attached themselves to Bill Clinton to climb the power grid. There's proof their service to the Clintons continued from the early 70s right through Hillary's 2016 campaign. So much of the partisan assault on President Donald Trump traces back to the Brookings Institute. Strobe Talbot, Igor Danchenko, Norm Eisen, Fiona Hill, and more. Should a future Republican-driven investigation pursue their tax status? Well, I would say so. I would say so. So, again, I'm not trying to get your hopes up about John Durham because, again, so many people, so many people um, were disappointed that he didn't come up with a whole bunch of... uh, prosecutions before the election was stolen in November of last year. But I'm trying to call balls and strikes and trying to let you know what's going on. So we'll see what happens. Uh, so I had a, I had a comment earlier about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And I got a comment here from one of the Persons listening live on the Podbean app, Mr. Kennedy has spasmodic dysphonia, spasmodic dysphonia, which makes talking difficult and difficult to understand. Given that, they may be actually assisting Mr. Kennedy to preserve his voice while still getting the information out to the public. Okay, well, we'll take a look at that then. I mean, if that's... I, I, I realize that he has that, that problem and that he's sometimes difficult to understand. But that's not the reason the publicist gave us for wanting to get his publisher on the air. There was no mention of that. So if we could get an interview with the publisher of the book talking about the book, then maybe we can get that done. Yeah, because, you know, I've seen him interviewed um, by people like uh, Tucker Carlson and Glenn Beck, and, you know, he the, the voice is, you know, in bad shape. So maybe... We should go with that because, you know, at least when they interview him on camera, you got the video, you you see him. But just trying to listen to the voice, the audio, yeah, it might be difficult. It might be difficult. All right, and I appreciate the comment. We'll we'll look at that. Uh, Jordan Schachtel, independent journalist Jordan Schachtel, says rapid testing of people without symptoms is the new authoritarian surveillance move, and of course it creates a windfall for an already enriched scam industry. Moreover, it creates the conditions for a turnkey surveillance state. Just say 
no. Just say no. The um, the great Daniel Horowitz over the blaze says, if you don't think they could have sold us a vaccine, so-called, that is unsafe and ineffective, and you haven't been following the remdesivir and Molnupiravir and Molnupiravir sagas, you're missing everything in plain sight. Yeah. And he links to this article he had out on December 1st. I think we referenced it then. The despicable and indefensible approval of Merck's dangerous COVID drug. That's something to look at. I'll I'll try to put it on my Facebook page, see if they'll suspend me for that. Now, back to to January January 6th. We had a big old blockbuster article yesterday about Ray Epps and his co-conspirators by the great Darren J. Beatty over at Revolver.News. Now, Marjorie Taylor Greene, U.S. Representative from uh, Northwest Georgia, has some new thoughts about this. On a thread that she put out on Twitter before daybreak this morning, she says, How is Ray Epps doing? Been raided by the FBI yet? No. Not locked up in the D.C. jail in solitary confinement? Gee, that's odd. Subpoenaed by the January 6th committee? No, not yet. Huh? Wonder why. Where's Ray Epps? As Biden releases his new vaccine enforcement plan today, how many people have died of the mild variant Omicron? None, I hear. How many healthy, unvaccinated people are getting fired or forced to quit right before Christmas? Will we ever really know? How many Americans are still stranded in Afghanistan? How many Americans have been killed by the Taliban? How did they feel when they were left behind? How are the families of the 13 service members doing now right before Christmas? How many children went missing this year? How many children are being trafficked at the border? How many children never returned to school after the shutdown? How many children are being taught they are trans or being transitioned? How many children are being aborted? Um, yeah. Interesting questions. Interesting questions. So, now, if you're one of the people listening to the Doc Washburn show from outside of Arkansas, which about 70% of our listeners are outside the state of Arkansas, where I happen to be for the time being. This transgender question reminds me of the governor of Arkansas, who pretends to be a conservative Republican, but is anything but. Um, The state legislature of Arkansas was the first state legislature in the country to pass a bill criminalizing the sterilization of minors. And the governor of Arkansas, a guy named Asa Hutchinson, we call him asymptomatic Asa, he uh, 
he uh, he vetoed the bill. Now, you would expect that with a liberal Democrat like Gavin Newsom, California, or maybe Cuomo or his replacement in New York. You expect that with a liberal Democrat governor, but not with a Republican governor who claims to be a conservative. He vetoed the bill. He claimed that it was wrong, according to medical experts he talked to, to keep eight- or nine-year-olds from uh, getting hormone blockers and being chemically castrated. Well, first of all, when he went on the Tucker Carlson show, he didn't even know the difference between chemical castration and surgical castration. He had no idea. He didn't know what he was talking about. But what he did know was that he was doing the bidding of the heirs of Sam Walton at Walmart. That's what he did know. Now, he denied it, but then Tucker proved he was lying. So anyway, why am I bothering people in the other 49 states about the uh, governor of Arkansas who leaves office a year from next month? Because it looks like he's determined to run for president in 2024. As a kinder, gentler uh, Republican. So just remember that. When uh, Aza Hutchinson starts going to Iowa and New Hampshire and places like that, just remember, this Arkansas governor is the guy who vetoed the bill to make it against the law to sterilize children. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. I mean, there are, there, there are plenty of other bad things about him, but, but that ought to do it right there. I would think. I would think. Uh, going back to independent journalist Jordan Schachtel, saw former CDC director Robert Redfield on Fox this morning promoting COVID hysteria. Took a quick look at what he's been up to. Turns out... He's cashing checks from contact tracing, COVID testing, and COVID mania consulting companies. Utterly pathetic, not shocked in the least bit, nor am I. Speaking of which, I don't know if you heard um, Trump and O'Reilly, but I got to tell you, it's ironic to me that Donald Trump, a self-proclaimed billionaire, became president in 2016 because of this uncanny knack that he had of being able to relate to people who uh, socioeconomically were nowhere near where he was. It was remarkable that this self-professed billionaire could relate to people who, you know, work a paycheck at a time. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering what happened to that guy. Because at this point, the way he continues to praise the vaccines, he is tone deaf to a lot of his supporters, in a matter, uh, and for that matter, 
you see on social media, a lot of the people who would have walked over cut glass to vote for him either in uh, 2016 or 2020 are now saying he's lost me because he keeps on pushing, pushing, pushing how wonderful the vaccines are. And he took credit, you know, for cutting the red tape and getting the vaccines done. And uh, not just the vaccine, but the booster. Oh, yeah, the booster. Yeah, all that stuff's wonderful. And a lot of people are going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who's this guy? This doesn't remind me at all of the Donald Trump I voted for in 2016 or 2020. Anyway, Trump and O'Reilly, and, you know, O'Reilly has a pretty good knack for being tone deaf, too, sometimes. I don't know if you noticed that. But look, we did something that was historic. We saved tens of millions of lives worldwide. We, together, all of us, not me, we, we got a vaccine done, three vaccines done, and tremendous therapeutics like Regeneron and other things that have saved a lot of lives. What about ivermectin? Are you going to bring that up? We got a vaccine done in less than nine months that was supposed to take from five to 12 years. Maybe it should have. Because of that vaccine, because of that vaccine, millions and millions of people, I think this would have been the Spanish flu of 1917 where up to 100 million people died. This was going to ravage the country far beyond what it is right now. Survival rate of 99.8% before the vaccines kicked in. What is this millions of people garbage? Take credit for it. Take credit for it. It's a great, what we've done is historic. Don't let them take it away. Don't take it away from ourselves. You're playing that, you're playing right into their hands when you sort of like, oh, the vaccine. If you don't want to take it, you shouldn't be forced to take it. No mandates. But take credit because we saved tens of millions of lives. Take credit. Don't let them take that away from you. Okay. I thought Fauci was a con artist. That's what you said. Fauci and Burks are con artists, but now you're repeating their talking points. Right, so the president made news. Do you agree with that? Right? Yeah, they're cheering because they agree on no mandates. Both the president and I are vaxxed, and uh, did you get the booster? Yes. I got it too. Unfreaking believable. You're really going to run on that? Because I tell you, I mean, if Trump's the nominee in 2024, the Democrats will flip on the vaccine. They'll flip on the vaccine and point out how many people have died after having taken it. No, the Democrats are shameless. They'll, they'll flip. They'll turn on a dime. They'll turn on a dime. The great John Hayward over at Breitbart with a thread on Twitter this morning saying, Biden's handlers said getting the coronavirus under control would be simple. They said the only reason the pandemic was so bad in 2020 was Trump's poor leadership. Biden was going to shut down the virus, not the country. So Biden's record for year one is in, and it's dismal. He's an utter failure by his own metrics and promises. Biden took many of the same steps as Trump, including a hilariously 
panicked reprise of the travel bans. Biden had denounced as mindless xenophobia, but he did everything worse. Biden had the vaccines Trump successfully pushed to develop with astounding speed, and he's worse on the coronavirus. And Biden's alternately feeble and domineering so-called leadership on the pandemic is tearing the country apart, bringing us to the edge of constitutional crisis. Trump made plenty of trouble for himself with his pandemic theatrics, but he never said anything as reprehensible as a disgusting statement put out by the Biden White House threatening misery and death to the unvaccinated this week. The frantic blame-shifting efforts of Biden's handlers to distract from their pandemic failures are incredibly damaging. And now we're saddled with a press that's a bunch of sycophants that view propping up the dying Biden administration as their top priority instead of asking tough questions. Trump said things about the pandemic that turned into public relations uh, calamities for his administration, but he was far, far better than Biden at getting important things done, and he didn't view the pandemic as a great opportunity to dynamite the republic and rebuild it. Yeah. Yeah. That's John Hayward over at Breitbart. Yes, indeed. And again, Jordan Schachtel. Increasing COVID testing is not going to provide an exit from COVID mania. In fact, the opposite is true. It will make COVID mania permanent. The goal of the testing regime is to create a permanent crisis. He says, as the Rona narratives continue to collapse, people across the United States have formed a baseline radical distrust of the federal government. And that's good. And that's good. I wish there were more people in uh, Arkansas that distrust the federal government. I go to the grocery store and about half the people are wearing masks, even in the parking lot, even getting in their cars. And I'm like, wait, what? Seriously? Seriously? It's outrageous. And again, Joe Biden said July of this year in a town hall on CNN, quote, you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations, unquote. So you want to talk about the big lie. That's the big lie. That's the big lie. Okay, so new article drops over the federalist.com from Margot Cleveland entitled New Videos Capture Pennsylvania Officials Hiding Evidence of Alleged Election Fraud. New whistleblower videos capture Delaware County, Pennsylvania officials plotting to recreate missing election data from the November 2020 contest, with one official later bragging that the local Democrat district attorney owes him. These recordings represent the latest evidence of the alleged fraud officials in the Pennsylvania County undertook to hide widespread violations of the state's election laws, according to a source familiar with the recordings. 
Whistleblower Regina Miller, who works as a contract employee for Delaware County, secretly recorded the behind-the-scenes videos of election officials after witnessing concerning conduct, according to sources with knowledge of a fraud lawsuit filed last month against county election officials. Based in part on the recordings, that lawsuit alleged county election officials destroyed election data in response to a May 21, 2021, right-to-know request filed with Delaware County, Pennsylvania, that requested the final certified return sheets from the November 3, 2020 general election for all Delaware County precincts, as well as the tapes from the voting machines. While earlier videos captured Delaware County, Pennsylvania officials destroying election material or blocking out derogatory information in the copies made in response to the right-to-know request, the latest video captures two election officials discussing putting in blank V-drives, which are the thumb drives that record the results from election machines to recreate the election results reported by the county. In one video, James Savage, who serves as the chief custodian and voting machine warehouse supervisor for the Delaware County Voting Machine Department during the November 2020 election, is seen talking with another election official who is blocked from the camera's view. The duo are discussing the right-to-know request, according to a source of knowledge of the matter, with Savage inquiring on the idea of recreating data. The individual off-camera chimes in with his suggested approach that would entail recreating results for, quote, these jokers, unquote, and, quote, then create another set for the next set of jokers, unquote, an apparent reference to the individuals who filed the right-to-know request. He explains, well, we cut it up, and then we create a permanent record. The election official is heard saying, here you go, here you go, mimicking what they could say as they provided the so-called jokers, the supposedly official election data documentation. The unseen individual then continues saying, we scan those cut, copied sheets in. Savage is seen saying, the first part has a lot of work, but it might save his work in the long run. It's going to be a drip, drip, drip. The two then talk more about the process with Savage, asking about whether they are talking about going to every machine and putting in a clean V-drive. The off-camera election worker appears to concur with that approach. Marco Cleveland at thefederalist.com says, I sought comment from the attorney who represents Savage in a defamation action, the Delaware County official filed against two local poll watchers as well as against Trump and his legal team. Savage, who had filed his lawsuit before news broke that a whistleblower had recorded closed-door conversations, did not answer whether he intended to continue with the defamation claim nor why was there a need to recreate election data. Savage's attorney did not respond to requests for comment. I'm shocked, shocked, I tell you. Savage was previously seen on tape talking with an individual identified by people familiar with litigation as James Allen, the director of election operations for Delaware County, Pennsylvania. In that video, James Allen is heard telling Savage, then get rid of the pads and the second scanners. Savage replies, we can't talk about it anymore. Allen said, why? Savage states, it's a felony. So the fraud complaint filed against the Delaware County, Pennsylvania officials added that after declaring it's a felony, Savage then allegedly encouraged a private conversation to continue the conversation 
of the removal of the pads and scanners due to other Delaware County employees and contract employee Regina Miller, who was present. Savage stars in two additional short video clips Margot Cleveland here obtained at the Federalist, in which he brags that the local district attorney owes him because he had previously won elections from the other side. Savage asserts saying, I was the vice chair of the Democrat Party. I was like Jack's progressive shield. He held me up. An apparent reference to Delaware County DA Jack Stolsteimer. Savage also explains he served as Jack's buffer. Wow, wow, wow. When, what a wicked web we weave when first we practice to deceive, right? The videos featuring Savage are particularly concerning because the Delaware County Return Board and transmitting its report to the Delaware County Board of Election singled out Savage and his staff for his guidance and help in the Return Board's November 2020 Reconciliation Project. Also troubling was the Return Board's inability to reconcile the election results for 79 precincts within Delaware County, Pennsylvania, including issues with some precincts that involved inconsistencies between the list of voters and the county return sheets, with the Return Board referring those precincts to Delaware County DA Stolzheimer. Stolzheimer, of course, did not return a request for comment on Savage's claim that he owed him, also unanswered with the Federalist questions concerning whether the DA's office has opened any investigation into the evidence seen on the whistleblower's tape. Tapes, tapes, plural. Gosh, I'm shocked, shocked, I tell you. Un-freaking-believable. Know what I'm saying? The great Matt Walsh over the blaze says, if the vaccine does not prevent transmission, which it does not, then there is no rational argument for vaccine mandates, keeping the unvaccinated out of public places, etc. Everyone is spreading it, vaxxed or unvaxxed. We really are all in this together, it turns out. Well, because it does not stop transmission. You know what I'm saying? It really doesn't. U.S. Congressman Thomas Massey said, when the very last remaining person on the planet who was vaccinated but didn't catch COVID finally catches COVID, will it still be called a breakthrough case? That's a good question. Liberal law professor Jonathan Turley out there today. He says, it is now an article of faith to demand censorship or speech regulation in the name of social justice. He says, University of Miami's Mary Ann Franks has a simple solution, and the Boston Globe wants people to consider it. Just gut the First and Second Amendments. The problem with the Bill of Rights, according to Ms. Franks, is that it's too aggressively individualistic. So the solution is to redo the work of the framers to be more woke compliant. Well, now, wait just a doggone minute. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm not going to put up with this. And, uh, and you shouldn't either. 
But here's the article, Jonathan Turley, and his blog, Aggressively Individualistic Miami Law Professor Proposes a Redo of the First and Second Amendments. And he says, we've been discussing the growing attack on free speech in this country, including a widespread movement in academia to curtail free speech rights. Indeed, this movement largely began on college campuses and spread to social media, politics, and journalism. It's now an article of faith for the left to demand censorship of the regu- or the regulation of speech in the name of social justice. University of Miami's Marianne Franks has a simple solution. The Boston Globe wants people to consider it. Just got the First and Second Amendments. That's right. That's right. The problem with the Bill of Rights, according to Ms. Franks, is that it's too aggressively individualistic. So the solution is to redo the work of the framers to be more woke compliant. All those pesky constitutional rulings in favor of free speech, free speech rights, will then fall away and society can move on with social justice unimpeded by constitutional niceties. Now, this law professor at University of Miami, Mary Ann Franks, she is the Michael R. Klein Distinguished Scholar Chair at Miami and the author of The Cult of the Constitution, Our Deadly Devotion to Guns and Free Speech. Stanford Press, don't you know, 2019. <laughs> the Boston Globe column echoes her long-standing contempt for the first two rights in the Bill of Rights. Her redo is enough to put George Mason into a catatonic shock. She says the First and Second Amendments tend to be interpreted as in aggressively individualistic ways that ignore the reality of conflict among competing rights. This, in turn, allows the most powerful members of society to reap the benefits of these constitutional rights at the expense of vulnerable groups. Both amendments would be improved by explicitly situating individual rights within the framework of domestic tranquility and the general welfare set out in the Constitution's preamble. Uh, wait a minute. The preamble is not binding. It's only the uh, articles and the Amendments that are binding. So you might have some explaining to do there. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, Jonathan Turley says Ms. Franks would entirely gut the free speech protections under the First Amendment that have long defined this country. She would instead amplify the right of the government to hold people accountable for speech deemed harmful. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's bound to work out. Yeah, sure. But here it is. Here's a quote. She says, Every person has the right to freedom of expression, association, peaceful, peaceful assembly, and petition of the government for redress of grievances consistent with the rights of others to the same and subject to responsibility for abuses. Oh, come on. Come on with the abuses. <clears throat> this is ridiculous. You want abuse? Maxine Waters is the abusive one. AOC is the abusive one. Anyway, Jonathan Turley continues, other freedoms fare a little better. Indeed, the amendment is rewritten to guarantee equity over individual rights. Another quote from this law professor, University of Miami in the Boston Globe. She says, every person has the right to freedom of expression, association, peaceful assembly, and petition of the government for redress of grievances consistent with the rights of others to the same 
and subject to responsibility for abuses. All conflicts of such rights shall be resolved in accordance with the principle of equality and dignity of all persons. Okay, wait. Wait a minute. Wait just a minute. So that means if I criticize something or someone, since I'm a conservative, since I'm a Christian, they get to jump down my throat if this woman has her way, right? Jonathan Turley continues, as for the Second Amendment, she would just replace the right to bear arms with a right to abortion and personal autonomy. Here's the quote. All people have the right to bodily autonomy consistent with the right of other people to the same, including the right to defend themselves against unlawful force and the right of self-determination to in reproductive matters. The government shall take reasonable measures to protect the health and safety of the public as a whole. Well, that's kind of a contradiction there because the government's supposed to take reasonable measures to protect the health and safety of the public as a whole, then abortion would never, never be allowed. Wow. Well, I got to take a moment here. Good grief. This is crazy. Oh, man. Jonathan Turley says, as chilling as the Boston Globe column may be, it does serve a useful purpose. It acknowledges the anti-free speech agenda of many in academia and journalism today. As liberal academics took effective control of faculties and schools, the support for free speech and academic freedom waned. A new orthodoxy took hold that is continuing to build on our campuses. I discussed that trend in my forthcoming law review article, Harm and Hegemony, the Decline of Free Speech in the United States, 45 Harvard law, Journal of Law and Public Policy. The writings of Franks and others are enormously popular because they legitimate such orthodoxy in the anti-free speech movement. Most intellectuals have grown weary and impatient with free speech. Wow. What is most striking about the Frank's proposal is that it is hardly new. Indeed, such a qualified right was made part of the Declaration of the Rights of Man and the Citizen. Article 11, drafted in part by the Marquis de Lafayette. That would have been late 1700s. Says this. The free communication of ideas and opinions is one of the most precious of the rights of man. Every citizen may accordingly speak, write, and print with freedom, but shall be responsible for such abuses of this freedom as shall be defined by law. Well, The First Amendment was written, as correctly noted by Professor Franks, as a more robust individualistic protection. It was elegant and powerful in its simplicity when it said things like, Congress shall make no law, abridging the freedom of speech. Indeed, that clarity famously inspired Justice Hugo Black to declare, I take no law abridging to mean no law abridging. It is aggressively individualistic, as were many of the framers. That is precisely why Professor Professor Franks and many in academia want the right extracted from the Constitution. Once this protection is removed by constitutional amendment or judicial interpretation, the real work can begin on recreating a society and a better government-approved and government-enforced image. The aggressively individualistic model of the Bill of Rights can be replaced with an aggressively collective model of a Bill of Responsibilities and Penalties. 
Jonathan Turley, just remarkably for a liberal, he says, I've long admitted to being a dinosaur on free speech. I support the free speech rights of those who espouse views that I find deeply hurtful and offensive. I still believe that the solution to bad speech is better speech, not censorship or sanctions. The growing wave of speech intolerance on our campuses and in society has left many of us in a shrinking minority. To make matters worse, many professors are too intimidated to speak out. To do so is to risk everything that intellectuals hold dear. From publication offers to speaking opportunities to their very academic positions. The result is a generation that is being taught in an echo chamber where free speech is treated as a scourge or tool of oppression. That is the ultimate irony in all this. Liberals often lament that the Joseph McCarthy period in the 1950s for its crackdown on speech and blacklisting of leftist academics and writers. They have now succeeded in achieving what those on the right failed to achieve in the 1950s, faculty and editors are actively supporting modern versions of book burning with blacklists and bans for those with opposing political views. Columbia Journalism School Dean Steve Call has denounced the weaponization of free speech, what he calls it, which appears to be the use of free speech by those on the right. Through a combination of corporate censorship, government pressure, and media controls, they have succeeded in silencing many who would challenge them. It was only a matter of time before someone like Professor Franks cut to the chase and called for the First Amendment to be discarded as the final measure of devotion to the cause. That's scary stuff, y'all. But that's what's going on. That's what's up in our country. That's what's going on in our country. And that's troubling. That's troubling. By the way, Joe Manchin, the guy who saved us from the um, Bill Back Better bill, which would have sicked 88,000 new IRS agents on us. Manchin said... They figured, surely to God we can move one person. Surely we can badger and beat that one person up. Surely we get enough protesters to make that person uncomfortable enough they'll just say, okay, I'll vote for anything and just quit. Manchin says, well, guess what? I, I'm from West Virginia. Hello! He's like, that's, that's not the way they... Uh, they bring us up in West Virginia. How about that? How about that? So there's this profile on Twitter called An Open Secret. Uh, and they're all about getting the word out about and trying to stop children from being sex trafficked and that sort of thing. They said, since we learned many CIA pedophile agents never got prosecuted, no mainstream media coverage, no congressional hearings, no repercussions. This is America. And they linked to, came out December 1st, about the CIA covering for employees 
who have committed sex crimes involving children and were not prosecuted. Speaking of speaking of sex crimes being covered up. Now, you know, a couple of years ago, the FBI arrested Jeffrey Epstein, right? And um, Jeffrey Epstein, who... uh, By the way, didn't kill himself in jail. And um, so with Epstein gone there, prosecuting um, his former girlfriend and alleged pimp, Ghislaine Maxwell, right? And some folks think that the whole deal about them prosecuting Ghislaine Maxwell is that, uh, and right at Christmas, is that they're just going to drop everything. They're just going to drop everything after that. And just pretend like, well, Epstein's dead, and Glenn Maxwell was the problem. Right? So, so yeah. So that's dealt with. Know what I'm saying? Evidence. Wait, what? Evidence from Jeffrey Epstein's safe went missing after FBI raid. Really? The UK Telegraph has a story. They also have a paywall. So I think I can get it another way. I think I can get it another way. TheGatewayPundit.com has a story about it. Yeah, let's see if we can scroll down and get that. So the FBI loses a lot of Epstein um, evidence. What a shock. Let's see if we can scroll down and get that story. Because, you know, I would think with the FBI... I mean, you should be able to catalog stuff and make sure nothing happens to it, right? Let me see if we... Is there a search function on the Gateway Pundit? There should be. But I can't find it. Isn't that a shame? Yeah, okay, so, oh, more. Okay, search the Gateway Pundit. Okay, let's see, FBI and Epstein. There we go. There we go. And they're looking for it. But um, I don't really think there's any excuse for that, do you? Glenn Maxwell trial, evidence from Jeffrey Epstein's safe 
went missing before uh, went missing following FBI raid. Really? Who knew? And this came out over the weekend. This came out over the weekend. In July 2019, the FBI raided Jeffrey Epstein's home in New York City. The FBI agents found damning information and evidence throughout his seven-story residence. The evidence included numerous black binders with white labels that had clear pages containing thumbnail photos with CDs attached. FBI agents also found several items in a safe, including binders with CDs, various items of jewelry, external hard drive, loose diamonds, large amounts of U.S. currency, and passports. The FBI later said the evidence in the safe went missing. Oh, really? Christopher Ray's FBI said they went back a few days later and the evidence had disappeared. Well, I wonder why they didn't secure it. The same FBI that ran a coup against a sitting U.S. president based on completely made-up opposition party nonsense wants the American public to believe the Epstein evidence went missing and they had nothing to do with it. The same FBI that raided hundreds of homes of U.S. patriots with dozens of armed agents this year for walking inside or near the U.S. Capitol on January 6th wants you to believe they had nothing to do with missing evidence in the Epstein case after they were the last ones to see it. Really? The same group that believes Antifa is an idea, but Trump supporters and conservatives working and conservative working Americans are domestic terrorists want you to believe they did not disappear the Epstein evidence. Really? So the FBI went inside Epstein's home and took photos but not did not confiscate the evidence? Anybody buy this? Fox News reported that the witness in the Glenn Maxwell trial told the tale of how the FBI searched Jeffrey Epstein's $77 million New York home to the jurors. The agents buzzed, but after no answer, they forced their entry into the residence and started performing a protective sweep to make sure there was no threat to them. On the third floor in a dressing room, they found a safe that they pulled out from a closet and brought in a saw to open it. There were several items in it that the FBI photographed, such as more binders with CDs, various items of jewelry, external hard drives, loose diamonds, large amounts of U.S. currency and passports. However, they needed a second search warrant in order to retrieve those items. So they returned a few days later, except that the items that had been removed from the safe were missing. It says, an attorney for Epstein then returned all the items to the agents? Well, now, wait a minute. So the items aren't missing after all? Because a lot of people believe they are. Okay, this gets kind of rough. We're going to go into the Fox News article on this. It gets kind of rough. the FBI found a trove of photos of nude women and girls at Jeffrey Epstein's New York City townhouse 
when they performed search warrants following the financier's arrest on sex trafficking charges in July 2019 in a closet of one of the floors of the seven-story residence. The agents found boxes with CDs that contained some of those photographs with police-like yellow evidence tape on them, according to a special agent with the FBI testifying at Glenn Maxwell's trial. In another room and closet, the FBI found numerous black black binders with white labels. Special agent Kelly McGuire said the binders had clear pages containing thumbnail photos with CDs attached. Attached. Witness told the tale of how the FBI searched Epstein's $77 million New York home to the jurors. The agents buzzed after no answer, forced their entry to the residence, started performing a protective suite, make sure there's no threat to them. Third floor, they found the dressing room with a safe. They pulled out from et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But see, we thought all this stuff was lost, but the Fox News article says an attorney for Epstein then returned all the items to the FBI agents. Earlier, jurors listened to the testimony of Kate, a British musician. She was originally minor victim three of the indictment, but was now allowed to testify only as a witness. That morning, Judge Allison Nathan sided with the defense as she considered that Kate was of the age of consent when and where the alleged incidents happened. Kate alleged she was groomed by Glenn Maxwell and sexually abused by Epstein in London when she was 17 years old. Wait. 17 was consent. I mean, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Well, the good news is, if Fox News is correct here, that the attorneys, an attorney for Epstein returned all the items to the FBI agents. And here we're thinking all this stuff is missing. Fascinating. Fascinating. There's so much going on. There's so much going on. Now, I direct you once again to a thread on Twitter from the wonderful Marjorie Taylor Greene, U.S. Congresswoman from Northwest Georgia. She put this out last night. She said all over the country... There are different groups and people that do prison ministry, and they are doing good work. They minister to murderers, to rapists, to thieves, and all kinds of criminals who are in prison serving time. But no one, no one ministers to the pretrial January 6th defendants. The pretrial January 6th defendants are enduring unbelievable abuse and inhumane treatment under the supervision of Deputy Warden Kathleen Landerkin and under the authority of Mayor Muriel Bowser, Washington, D.C. Even when January 6th defendants like Ryan Nichols get vaccinated, they are still denied haircuts or the privilege of shaving. Nichols had to show up in court looking like Tom Hanks in Castaway movie, according to his lawyer, because the D.C. jail is violating basic human rights. These January 6th defendants are completely stripped of their dignity, and no one in the D.C. justice system has any compassion whatsoever for them. Is it really about the awful, violent words they threatened against politicians? Because if violent threats against those serving 
and governments were so atrocious that people that utter them should be locked away and treated like animals. What about these? And she has a link to an article, 15 stars who imagined violence against Donald Trump, pictures of Kathy Griffin, Snoop Dogg, and Robert De Niro. But Marjorie Taylor Greene continues in her thread here, if violent rioters, if violent rioters are a threat to society, then why were Black Lives Matter rioters constantly bailed out over and over by organized groups and funded by elected Democrats so they could go right back out and violently riot again, attacking police in federal courthouses and burning businesses. She says, in cities all over America, Black Lives Matter violence raged, but over 90% of the charges have been dropped. So, why are violence, rioting, and lawlessness a just cause when it comes to Black Lives Matter, but the same actions are unjust when it comes to elections and President Trump? She says, shouldn't all lawlessness be punished and all inhumane mistreatment of detainees in jail or prison be unjust? Our justice system should be fair, not partial to cause or politics. The two-tier justice system in America is proof that we are no longer considered equal. What the D.C. bubble, establishment elites, corporate media, know-it-all political consultants, most members of Congress, senators, FBI, DOJ, and court justices don't realize is that Americans are watching and they care deeply about the horrific political abuse of January 6th defendants. And then she says those who ignore it refuse to stop it and continue to enable it will be remembered by the people, but more importantly, they will be remembered by God. We always are. And she links to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 35 through 46 which say, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me, and I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me then they will go away to eternal punishment for the righteous to eternal life. It's Matthew 25, 
35 through 46. Marjorie Taylor Greene, the wonderful congresswoman from Northwest Georgia, put that out there. That's a way of uh, criticizing and calling into accountability the people running the the jail where the uh, January 6th uh, defendants are being housed and are being tormented and persecuted. Now, you notice right there in that last verse where our Lord says, then they will go away to eternal punishment or the righteous to eternal life. How often have you heard people say that hell is eternal separation from God? But I don't think the Bible says that. Then they will go away to eternal punishment. I don't think people in hell are eternally separated from God. It looks like they are eternally punished by God. Buddy, that uh, that right there, you, you don't want any part of that. There are other places in the Bible where it says that his wrath remains on the unbelievers. Yeah. You don't want any part of that. Trust me. But a lot of people are taught in church that, uh, I didn't plan on getting off on the subject, a lot of people are taught in church that hell is eternal separation from God. You just heard it. Jesus said about the unbelievers, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous go to eternal life. And there's a place in the New Testament where it talks about God's wrath remaining on on unbelievers. Wow. Yeah, you definitely don't want any part of that. So, um... I don't know if you thought about this, but Penelope Mann over there on the Twitter says, fentanyl overdoses are the leading cause of death for 18 to 45-year-olds in the year 2020. Not COVID. What are we even doing? It's a good shot. Good, 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 good point. Very good point. Yeah. Again, Matt Walsh of the Blaze saying, People have gotten three shots of a vaccine in a year and are still getting sick. But do not ask any questions about this or even point out that it's happening because that would be dangerous or dangerous medical misinformation, according to social media. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, it would be. It absolutely would be. Now then. I think I got something kind of funny here. You see, where did I put my headphones? I think I got something kind of funny here. Let's uh, let's see if you agree. Oh, I don't have it open. Okay, no, 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 no. We got it. We got to do it right. We got to do it right. Absolutely. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. 
And the Doc Washer Show Tweet of the Day is brought to you by our friends at Red River Your Way. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership smack dab in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to online and pick your own payment conditions and have it delivered to you, redriveryourway.com. Check them out. You'll be glad you did. All right, now. This guy's got a sense of humor. He's he's a comedian. He's a funny guy. He has a a lot of people following him. His name is Jeremy McClellan. He says, my family lives in West Virginia, and they are furious at Joe Manchin's betrayal of Bill Back Better. I wish more people voted like them. And so he prints a screenshot of an apparent private message back and forth. He says, hey, Uncle Dale, how does everyone in West Virginia feel about Joe Manchin and the Bill Back Better? Messed up, huh? And then the response, he's, he's kind of scribbled through it. So to make it, to make it harder to read, it says, okay, so for the last time, my name is Oliver and we live in New Mexico. Do you just watch the news and then pretend to have relatives who live in those places and make up names that sound the best. If you want attention, why don't you try writing jokes? And then one little part that's not scribbled out says, I'm seriously losing my mind, Jeremy. This has to stop. He's speaking about Jeremy messaging him, not about Joe Manchin. But Jeremy's pretending he's speaking about Joe Manchin. He says, well, those are some harsh words for your senator, but I totally agree. Love you, Uncle Dale. Uh, that's funny. That's funny. Well, you know, all these libs out there talking about how Joe Manchin is going to have to explain his vote against Bill Back Better to his constituents in West Virginia. Somebody pointed, put up a uh, a map of West Virginia showing that all the counties are red, not one blue county in the whole state. Trump took the state in a landslide over Biden, and they're like, okay, which county should Joe Manchin go to and expect people to be upset with him? It was crazy. Crazy. But again, thank you to Red River Your Way for sponsoring, for sponsoring our tweet of the day. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the country. They believe in freedom, including the freedom for you to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You buy it online. Have it delivered to you, your front door. Absolutely. Good folks, good folks. And we appreciate them. All right, now, that having been said, that having been said, I want to look at this article at uh, at redstate.com. See if I can bring that up. <clears throat> Pardon me. Yeah, where is it? Yeah, let's let's get back to this. 
Joe Biden releases his new COVID measures, including one mind-boggling provision. All right? Mind-boggling. Joe Biden is set to speak today on his new COVID measures. But while we don't have a scheduled time on that yet, because the White House obviously has to make sure he's physically capable before they trot him out there, we do have the details of what he's going to say. This morning, the administration released a document that included a lot of the same. Nothing listed here strikes me as making a difference, nor does the data support the need to battle Omicron in this way. The entire thing reads like a weird mix of stolen credit and humble bragging. At one point, it cites the, quote, president's leadership, unquote, to the current federal stockpile of masks and ventilators. Yet those stockpiles were largely built under the previous administration. So while I guess you could thank a president, it's not Joe Biden who put the train in motion. Well, see, I, I, I refuse to use the word president on this guy anyway. He's the, the, the usurper, right? Bocce, Red State continues, besides, given the extreme transmissibility of Omicron and the prior inefficiency of masks, I'm not sure what any of that is supposed to accomplish. Ventilators are also not in short supply anymore because the medical community's thinking on when to use them in regard to COVID-19 has evolved over the last year and a half. Other throw-ins include claims about mobilizing FEMA and sending in a 1,000 troops to help with staffing shortages at hospitals. To that point in the document, there's truly nothing new. It's the same old stuff that may or may not be necessary, but it's the last announcement in the measure, in the measures that strikes me as mind-boggling. Okay, two weeks ago, the White House announced that sending out at-home tests was expensive and wasteful of resources now Biden is proclaiming he's going to distribute 500 million rapid tests to American households, okay? Can't think of a dumber thing to do than this. After all that we've learned, we're now going to go back to mass testing of people without symptoms. This is how you keep the pandemic going forever because case numbers represent a point of control for the government. The more cases, the more justification they have for harsh mitigation and further power grabs. Ironically, Biden had it right the first time around. It's extremely wasteful to send out tests to random people, many of which won't even be administered properly, and likely most of which will end up in the trash. And while the claim will be that this is to help end the pandemic, obsessing over case numbers will do the opposite. What exactly is the thought here? The more people know they have COVID and self-isolate. But countries around the world that have harsh quarantine measures and lockdowns in place are still seeing exploding cases. Clearly, isolating people is not stopping the virus at this point. The entire thing strikes me as yet more zero COVID delusion. Furthermore, it represents a massive Taxpayer giveaway to a pharmaceutical industry that has already suckled at the government teat for far too long. In the end, what all these measures represent is another move to try to cover the administration's backside publicly while not really accomplishing anything at all. FEMA already existed, and as the document points out, they've already been working with hospitals throughout the pandemic. The rest of these measures add up to 
more theatrics because for the White House, it is far more important they appear to be doing something than it is to enact policies that actually make sense. It's Bonchi over at Red State. Article entitled, Joe Biden releases his new COVID measures, including one mind-boggling provision. But, you know, that's just the way he rolls. You know, he doesn't know what's going on. He really doesn't know what's going on. So, one of the commenters here on the uh, the Podbean app says, Hey, Doc, can we rock? Well, I'm trying. I'm trying, Nick and Cabot. I appreciate you, brother. I'm trying. All right. Um, Christmas coming up. We're certainly looking forward to that. A reminder that God sent his son to die for our sins. God's grace and mercy. Certainly looking forward to that. In the meantime, you've been listening to episode 50 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier the Tenth. Well, that's the way it is. Tuesday, December twenty first, twenty twenty one.